0: Hi, welcome back to A Question of Code. We're lucky enough this week to be joined by Brian Ocken, a Python testing expert, literally wrote a book on Python testing. Python Testing with PyTest is that one. You can go and look that one up. He's also known as the host of Python Bytes and Test and Code podcasts. Uh, Test and Code is a particular favorite of mine. listen to it a lot. Thank you so much for joining us, Brian. Well, thanks for having me.
1: I've been listening to your podcast from the start as well. I really like it. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks. Great to have you. I'm I'm not familiar with being the guest. Uh, I'm usually the host. (laughs) So, but I do have a question. So, which so there's Tom and Ed. One of you
0: started coding recently, and one of you codes for a long time. Can yes, who's who? I me, Tom has been has been coding for. I've been coding for about uh, well, coding for a a lot, lot longer. Doing it as a job for about eight years now. Um, and Ed, you, what, now you, it's over a year. You've been employed, isn't it, now?
2: Yeah, so I've now... No, not over a year. So I started last September. Oh, coming I, up on it then. But, coming up on it. Yeah, yeah almost there my one-year tech anniversary. Um, but before that, I was a I was a music teacher. So it was kind of... We, we started doing this podcast so Tom could give me some help with some common questions I came across okay. um, each week. Nice. And we're both... And
0: we, yeah, we're both career transitioners. I mean, I, I didn't particularly have a career before I started, but I didn't, I came to coding quite late and, and Ed has had a pretty successful career as a teacher before switching to being coding, uh, being a coder. So we like to sort of target our content at people who are switching, like making like their first steps into, to learning how to code and nice. such. Um And yeah, we, we, as, as you well know, we've touched on testing before. Um, we kind of covered on uh, a <laughs> slightly, uh, I don't know what would you call it. Flippant approach to why? Why should you test? Or well, I can't remember what the episode was called. What do you call it? We I think it was it,
2: called. It was called. Why should you write tests? Yeah, number twenty-two. A little bit <laughs> and, sort of
0: confrontational. Uh, a little bit. Is it worth the time?
2: <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about at the time. So yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it
0: turns out neither did I.
2: <laughs> yeah. Luckily, Brian, you you came to the rescue, and <laughs> set us to rights.
1: <laughs> but there, there's uh, there's definitely a difference because um, I and I'm. And I'm glad that we're talking. Both of you work in, um, actually, I don't know. I was assuming both
0: of you were in like a, a web um, environment. I certainly am. Um, but you're not so much, aren't you, Ed?
2: No, I, I'm actually, I work for an embedded company. So um, actually, at the moment, what I'm doing is quite a lot of pie tests. So, okay. <laughs> um, but we're, we're really big on TDD and BDD. Um, okay. so that kind of drives the stuff we do at our work, so
1: yeah I get a lot I get a lot of questions lately about testing uh, either testing cl- consumers of of web services or testing the web services themselves the, the uh, or testing web stuff and i that's not my specialty so i've I've had a couple of people on the show to talk about that because um, I'm more of a uh,
0: anything but the internet sort of a <laughs> person so
2: I think that's a a, a fine standpoint. <laughs> I'm
0: starting to think it's the, the the best option, to be honest, considering how much time i spend spending. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: I mean, I was uh, interested to to um, I'm I'm rereading uh, the Pragmatic Programmer because they're they put out their 20th anniversary edition, and there's a like a fairly big section on security, on uh, and, and like paying attention to security and um, the. Uh, their first and they comment that uh, twenty years ago they just wrote, "Yeah, you don't really need to worry about it too much, probably." And now the, I mean, and twenty years ago, uh, it was a minority of people that were dealing with internet stuff, and now I think it's most programmers are dealing somehow with an internet connected service, whereas uh, as somebody like me that's dealing with embedded systems is a is a minority. Uh, but our, I mean, our instruments are still connected to the, uh, to not usually internet as a whole, but they are connected to local networks. So there is some security concerns everywhere. But mm. anyway, I didn't mean to take over the, uh, the uh, podcast already.
2: No, that's all right. <laughs> I was going to say, we did a, we did a short bio of you, but it might be interesting to know how you got into programming and kind of what led you to this point. And you said you do embedded programming. Is that right?
1: Yeah, a bit of that. So, um. In a long time ago, in university, I wanted to be an artist, um, but I also liked mathematics, and so I was pursuing fine arts and mathematics, and both of them got extremely hard. And also, I started thinking about like my future and uh, getting a job and stuff like that. So switched to CS um, in college, and uh, got a, um, uh, and then after. You know, I I half-heartedly looked for a job after my bachelor's degree, um, just around town and stuff, and and uh, uh, found one place that was willing to hire me for less than what I was making at Safeway. Um, So (laughs) I uh, decided to keep going to school, got my master's degree in CS, and then uh, jumped into um, uh, got a job at HP in California uh, in test equipment, and I actually knew nothing. I didn't take any electrical engineering in. In college, um, didn't uh, I mean I, I knew how to take apart a radio and break it and make it not work, um, but that was my extent of electronics knowledge, and uh, <laughs> so learned all that stuff on the job. Uh, jumped right into high frequency RF uh, measurements, and and then um, been doing that ever since. Really, I did uh, oscilloscopes and spec and and uh, um, most of my career has been on communication test equipment and. So now I work for uh, Roden Schwartz. Uh, it's a, a German-based uh, company that does a lot of stuff, but I'm, I'm on the test and measurement side. And then uh, um, mostly doing testing of um, Wi-Fi right now. Uh, the, some of the cutting-edge new Wi-Fi stuff is what we're working on. So, um, that's all in C++. Um, Python is uh, about, I don't know, 10 10 I keep saying ten years, but I've been saying that for a long time. So it's <laughs> over ten years I've been using Python, and I started using Python because we had an internal test framework um, to that was uh, kind of a class-based, normal, like, similar to like xUnit sort of thing. There were uh, setup and teardown functions, and uh, and then test functions written, in, and you could write those in Python, but they weren't they weren't unit tests. They were some some homegrown thing. That we had with a with a user interface and everything and uh and uh using that to to send commands uh, so testing our instruments through sending commands to them and and getting the response so very much black box um although usually gray boxes i don't know test and measurement companies <laughs> like the color gray for some reason uh and then um but then uh as of maybe 2010 so um oh so it really has been more like 20 years uh, so in 2010, uh, switch companies and, um, and I, I wasn't really happy with the test framework they were using. Uh, so I branched out, uh, to, uh, learn more about different off the shelf test frameworks, uh, because, uh, I mean, why write your own? I'm pretty sure everybody needs one, uh, learned about, so I started exploring, uh, uh, unit test and Pytest test and nose at the time, because I didn't know nose was dying. um, but uh, once I got into it pretty pretty hard and fast, I learned that PyTest was just really fun. So that's how I got into learning PyTest a lot, and we use that now on our to test our equipment. So that's a a long story long.
2: No, no, that's great. Um, really interesting to hear how your kind of testing career has progressed. It's interesting. I think I don't think a lot of programmers necessarily like are that into testing. I would. I want to take a little wild stab at saying that, but um, it's good. It's good that there are people that are really, really into it.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm a I'm a team lead, so I'm a I don't know what the weird title for a manager. Um, so I spend about thirty percent of my time managing, and then uh, the other, the rest of the time is probably half C stuff and half Python.
0: I wonder if that's something we can get into. that You've touched on there Ed, that we could maybe get into a bit. Is that does you think some developers are kind of think of i mean i i do i have to confess i find testing sometimes a chore but you brian clearly enjoy it and take great pleasure in it and listening to the the podcast and and all the the stuff around the sort of the world you're living in it seems like the norm testing is the norm everyone accepts it and i work with people who, who feel like that do you have any advice for people who are just starting out so that they don't get they don't start thinking of testing as sort of having to eat your vegetables and
1: yeah I guess. See, I'm just completely confused by that thought process. Um, so I don't get that. I don't even, uh, the eat your vegetables thing. I, I, I And then I, I didn't take a lot of, I wasn't trained in how to do testing. And a lot of the information on the internet around testing is uh, confusing to me um, because it seems like it's, and I get that, especially from like a lot of the questions. There's this this idea of um, bottom up sort of testing of of uh, doing like mocking and and isolating your functions and testing everything everything really well. And then and then this even in the jokes. So like there's a joke of uh, you know that you've heard the joke about the like the tester or something goes I don't know uh, goes into a bar and orders. Uh, orders one beer and then orders two beers and then orders a thousand beers and then negative one beers, um, and then uh, you know a customer walks in and, and asks where the bathroom is and the bar blows up. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs>
2: um, a good one. <laughs> uh, but
1: even that—that that implies that the the role of testing is coming up with crazy inputs to break your software, and that that is one role. Um, of tests. But the primary thing, so I I like to think of tests as just little playgrounds. So like let's say I had some code that I wanted to exercise uh, to see. I mean, if we weren't doing automated testing, I would still probably be doing, it's just not saved automated testing. So if I was writing a library with an API, maybe I write another piece of bit of code that calls that, like imports that library and or Whatever, and then calls some of the functions, and then sees what happens, and maybe just to do print statements, maybe some asserts, but probably just print statements. Let's be real, um, and uh, just kind of like print it out and make sure it works. the The overhead of doing that of of, of bringing up another file and importing stuff, and then calling your code, and then seeing seeing the output. Um, you need like one, and then if you do something else, you can extend that. But in a test file, if you're using something like PyTest or something, you can just have one file that is all these little tiny mini programs. So a test is essentially just a little mini program, and you can run it by itself. Whereas without a test framework, you really have to run the whole file, um, or run, you know, or modify your if name equals main to call different functions. Uh, so um, I really think of it as just playing, uh, playing around with the code you're writing. Um, the obvious stuff, I mean, you, the most, let's be honest, the most bang for the buck for testing isn't finding those corner cases. It's, um, I think the code will do this. If I pass in this input, let's make sure that that really happens and then do that again and again and again. Um, and you can, if you're, if you're doing that while you're coding, you've brought up, you essentially build up without any knowledge of test theory, it's just verifying that my code does what I think it's doing. Um, you're really far into it. And then if you expand that into just like behaviors of the system, how do I whatever big bigger system I'm using, how do I know it's working? How do I know it's not working? Well, I mean, it, people know how to manually play with code. If you don't know how your system whether or not your system' is working, by looking at it and, and interacting with it, then I don't think you understand your system very well. And um, and uh, I'm not trying to be flipped, but I think a lot of people come at writing tests from that perspective. They don't really know what their system's doing. How are they gonna write a test to verify that it's working? They, they don't understand it. Uh, the, there's architectural issues though. I mean, I, I'm simplifying this like as if you have access to everything. There are larger systems where people code in a section of it, and they really don't understand the system. I do think that's a problem. But you, but if you're in that in that situation, and you're just responsible for one little module, you obviously can't test at a system level because you don't have control over it, and you're probably not responsible for testing the system anyway. But you, de- somebody, a good question to ask is uh, on anybody's company is to say um, who is responsible, who is testing the system. And are those people like qualified to do that? Uh, because uh, there, there still are a lot of people, uh, uh, companies that will test, will hire contractors, or or nothing wrong with contractors, but hire people that really don't understand the system and say, "Oh, go here's the manual, go write tests for it." You can't do that. It just doesn't. You can, but why? Why? Why would you have people come up with ways to exercise the code, then they don't understand it. So. Um, wow,
0: well, I don't even know if I got to the question. I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> well, no, we've gotten into interesting stuff there. We're talking about like the, the if your starting point for testing your system is, and, I've, and this I've heard someone else say this before, is uh, so that you can sleep at night. So you know that the important things that are going to be running aren't broken. The end. If you start from that little like, just the key bits... That, I, that I'm going to be really worried about if they're broken, and then by that point you're in you by your by that nature you need to understand what the important parts of your system are, and then that gives you the way in to sort of test everything around that and you are doing it by importance so that what you're writing is yeah, is useful yeah definitely yeah. i mean because like you're
1: in uh, in mo in a lot of cases. I'm not going to say most anymore because I don't know what most people do with software. <laughs> um, but in a lot of cases, you the customers are really just, or whoever's using your software is really just trying to get something done. Um, most, a lot of times they're not trying to break it. They're just trying to get their work done. So, um, so maybe your maybe you, your method doesn't handle uh, Hebrew characters or uh, negative numbers, but if it's never going to get past that stuff, it maybe doesn't matter, um,
2: so. And I guess there are some situations where if you pass a certain thing, you might want it to crash.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's a that's a, I guess second level. So the first level is really uh, writing tests to verify what how how things that things are still working that used to work. Um, yeah. And uh, and the difference between an automated and manual often is just isn't that some one of them's code and one's not because manual testing often is writing little little test strip scripts to um to just verify stuff is working it's that keeping making sure it keeps working so you keep you can keep running it all the time uh to verify things are still working so if uh you know you have like some particular small requirement and it's a little weird so it's good to write a test around it so that you st- keep doing that or like for instance um now what operating system is your customer going to be on Oftentimes, we don't know. Um, it's a, it could be Mac. It could be uh, Windows. It could be a future operating system that we haven't even thought of. Um, so testing, well, the future one, I don't know how to get that. But um, at the very least, you can use a CI system to, to throw your tests at um, uh, multiple operating systems. And you almost get that for free now. Uh, so why wouldn't you? Uh, whereas manually are you really going to have like a Windows box and a Mac and a Unix box and run your tests on all three of them? That's just that'd be well you could, and we used to do that. Uh, but uh, why uh, when hmm. we have uh, services to do that for us now, the verifying how it, that it works is good. Um, the second level really is verifying that it, it that crashes the right way or errors the right way. So, like for instance, if you, if a piece of code is supposed to throw an exception or a particular exception, I mean, you can imagine the customer code or the client code saying calling some function and then catching the particular exception, different particular exceptions, or um, and if if you if that exception changes, that's a problem. So that the the error behavior is part of your interface; it is part of your behavior. And that's a little bit of a hard mindset shift for some people to get into of testing the correct way that your code is supposed to fail.
2: Yeah, I was just wanted to come back to the, the confidence thing, because it's something I've come across recently, because um, we've been doing some test driven development, which for listeners, if you don't know, means you write your tests first and then you do your code afterwards. Um Now, I I think there's varying opinions on it, but for this project, it's worked really well because I'm now at a point where I've got like some quite complicated stuff going on. And if someone comes to me and says, oh, you need to add this tiny little edge case, like I think like you were saying, Brian, when you've got these weird little edge cases, I can write a little test then that'll fail. And then I'll be like, right. Okay. I know that everything else is passing, so I can still feel confident that the stuff I'm changing when I'm writing new code isn't, isn't breaking the whole system. Like I think one of the things that's really helped me like quite enjoy doing testing more is that confidence in in the thought that I'm not actually breaking everything every time I change a piece of code.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, um, um, like it's hard for me to come up with non-hardware examples, but, uh, like, as we're adding functionality to support 802.11 AX and some of the newer Wi-Fi standards, we still have to – all of all of our mind is thinking about AX or some of the newer ones. Um, but our, our, our instrument still has to test uh, AC and B and A and all these other ones that people don't even think about anymore. But they're <laughs> listed on there, and there's going to be some router somewhere that has – has uh, those older capabilities only. So yeah. those are still need to be tested. Um and it's really nice to be able to not really think about those anymore just uh run the tests. And occasionally things happen like we'll we'll have an FPGA change that that is uh, necessary for one of the newer standards but the um somehow we they broke uh, like one of the broke some small features of B or something like that and we have to go back and tweak it and and that's yeah that that safety net of confidence is definitely uh feels
2: good to have that yeah yeah definitely,
1: so you but you're doing t d d now huh? you, are are you really writing your tests first then
2: uh, <laughs> uh I, I, we did actually, yeah, you sound so guilty you, there right you said. Sound- <laughs> My company, we do TDD, so that's what that's what I did. I wrote the test first. And then I uh, we did actually do it on this project, and we made a real point of making sure that we went and wrote, write the test first. What we struggled with was kind of just getting all the – a lot of – I think once you get past kind of simple scripts, et cetera, you're going to have to – what we found is that you have to kind of mock a lot of stuff out. Like you were talking about the internet earlier, you have to – how do we deal with like throwing stuff to an API or something? We have to create a mock, and that that's quite a a big challenge, I think, when it comes to getting started with testing. I think from what I've found is the the big barrier is kind of getting everything set up. And like I was saying a minute ago, I'm really happy now that I can just write a small little test and it does everything. But that's because we spent a, a quite a while getting the whole testing framework set up, and that was there was some difficulty there. I think that that's maybe what put some people off. When they when they get into more complex things,
1: yeah. I'm I my my benefit, the thing I like about TDD or a TDD like uh, um, scenario because there's some people that uh, write tests during while they're coding, and, or just right after. Uh, and I I think the the only downside to doing it right after is that you already needed it for development, so why not use it, develop it while you're develop the test while you're developing the code. And the later usually doesn't ever happen. I mean, that's one of the one of the, the key things around TDD is you're going to want tests for your system. If you wait to do it after, you might not do it. Um, so, um, and my, uh, my thinking also is uh, during is fine. Also, I mean, I'm often developing the tests while we're developing features. Uh, to me, I think that's reasonable. Part of it is learning. So it's a it's a learning process of learning what the API feels like. Um, also, uh, just sort of um, if it's gross, if the API is hard, if it's hard to test, then maybe it's a bad API. And if you're doing it early, you have the opportunity to make changes to the API to make it more comfortable. And if it's an API that you're exposing to the user, um, that's a great time to learn that it's clunky. Because uh, <laughs> uh, if you wait for four months and... And uh, often, if, especially if you wait till you release it to the customer, and then find out that it's clunky, uh, that's really
0: terrible because you don't you can't really fix it anymore without breaking people. So, it's nothing quite whatever. like being a consumer of your own product to find the rough edges and the uh, yeah. Stuff that you didn't, you wouldn't have seen when you're writing it. <laughs> there is
1: people proposing TDD because it said, they say that you can design. It's it's more about design and not about tests. Um, and I uh, I'm not in that camp. Um, I think that um, I I never believe that I can design something best the best way first. So uh, I think that the best, the most qualified person to write any piece of software is you after you've already written it once. Um, (laughs) So being willing, having the test support there to be able to, once it's done, uh, do the refactoring part, or if necessary, completely throw away the code and start over again. Um, It seems like a scary thing. It's one of the things I think more people should do every once in a while just for the heck of it to try. Because a piece of code that took you one day or two days to write, it really is only going to take you a couple hours to rewrite even if you threw everything away, if you have your tests to support it, um, you can go back and go, okay. Now that I've learned how this really works, I can really implement it nice. And uh, that the what's funny is that that seems horrifying to a lot of software developers, but like creative people that do creative or technical writing do that all the time. They write a first draft and then often throw away chapters. Uh, we we are not willing as a software. Community to throw away code very well, um, but we want to. But then there's also this funny thing of elegance. So we we I like we like to say something like I can I can implement a uh, a REST server uh, in like five lines of code, or you know the minimal lines of code would be neat. Uh, that'd be cool. But then we brag about how many thousands of tests we have. Um, <laughs> I, I don't get why we we want volume in tests when we want elegance in code. Um, I think elegance belongs on both sides, and it's perfectly fine to once you learn about your system uh, to throw away big chunks of software of test code if it's no, they're not helping you. Uh, but but I'm I'm also usually writing higher level tests. I don't write. I zoom in and do unit tests when that part of the code is complicated or or mission-critical or algorithmically difficult to understand, tests will very much help a future maintainer of the code to make sure that they don't break it um, and have that rapid cycle time. But a ton of the functionality of any software system can be adequately tested from almost the entire system or the entire system, and it's just fine. So
2: So coming into... Like when I was changing career and kind of just did some reading and probably spoke to Tom and some other people as well, it seemed like um, in I don't know if maybe you gave this to me, Tom. You can you can tell me off if this is not 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 what you told me, but it was only like it seemed like integration testing was kind of a bad thing, and everyone should just be just be doing unit tests because if you have unit tests for every single function that if each single function is doing the right thing, then nothing can be wrong. Surely that was that was something that kind of when I was learning. Kind of seems to be like a an opinion that was being thrown around. I don't know who, by well, to
0: set the record straight. I definitely did have that opinion for a short while. Um, I'm, I'm, but I will Maybe that's where I got it from. with saying I may have changed my mind now. So I like
1: to do my unit tests at the um, at the level of uh, uh, system calls. So um, as so, since all of my system calls and the language is correct, then and my application is only built up with. Pieces of the language, then therefore my application should be correct, right? Yeah. And I don't really need to test the operating system or the uh, or the language, so therefore I don't need any tests. All, all of my <laughs> units are already tested. No. Uh, <laughs> um, Sounds it, good. <laughs> it's the thing of like you know uh, I don't care how much you uh, test your two by fours. Um, the, it's it's not going to be a good jet engine if you use build it with two by fours uh the uh the the part that gets me about unit tests i have nothing no problem with focused unit tests and i use them a lot but the like data structures for instance if you're going to create a, a data structure is a great way to throw tests around because you really want everybody on the team to really understand how it works um and to not break any some piece of it that people are depending on uh likewise like an external API or an external system I, I think it's a great idea to throw tests around the pieces that you care about because you you'll get like a release note or something from some some library you're depending on that says oh yeah we completely we're changing from like five to six and we're completely breaking backwards compatibility and here's where and you can go well I'll just run my tests against it and uh, and the parts that we're depending on working the way they always have, if they break, then we have to change our code. If they don't break, then uh, we're cool. We can just upgrade. It should be fine. Um, the there's a there's a lot of great things around that. There is that that all all your if your pieces are working, then your whole is working. Hmm. And I just don't get there's a there's a couple of problems with what that. One of them is that a lot of the hard problems to solve in software are not at the unit level; they're at the integration level. So you you whether or not you have unit tests you still need the integration tests and and like smaller levels right so um it there the old way of running a system of using like button pushers and automated like pixel pushers and pixel comparisons yes that's horrible i would never do that if i was hired to do that i would quit and find another job <laughs> the um there are some people that still do that. I just don't think that's valid. For like, for instance, are we the instruments we have? We have a user interface. We don't test through the user interface. We do some testing of the user interface, but we have a very an architecture that we try to guarantee that interactions through the user interface are identical for most of the software, except that as the API. So we can send a, a remote command that's the same thing that's going to do the exact same thing as somebody pushing a button. Um, And once we've architected, done the back architecture to verify that we're confident that that's true in 99.9% of the time, then we can use the uh, easy to use API um, and test the entire system through the API. Um, And I mean, that's one of the reasons why we have REST APIs that are coming up is because the REST API is way easier to test than the user interface. I don't know how to, to to test web interfaces, because that's not what I do. But I know that there's, I mean, we have a similar sort of thing, you break it down. Now, JavaScript stuff, I totally get that it's it's becoming more more and more complex, and I don't know how to test that. So I'm the wrong person to ask
0: about that.
2: <laughs> I think we'd have to defer to Tom for that one.
0: <laughs> oh, just for everything, that's what I say. <laughs> That's, well, that's, I've that's heard good library. things about Jest. I don't know anything about it, but yeah, it's it. It kind of. I mean, I I came up using a combination of mocker and chai were the two libraries, and then I can't even remember what the name of it was. There was another library that actually handled the assertion. There was another assertion library on top of that. So it was like a combination of three things. Whereas Jest is kind of has all of that in in one now, handy is, wrapper. Is is
1: yeah. um is the JavaScript world moving towards like Testing bigger chunks at a time, also, or um, or is it is it mostly unit test based or
0: mostly? I mean, certainly, certainly the the code I'm interacting with on a day to day basis is like the majority of the tests are unit tests. Uh, okay. I think, and so. um, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's true of the wider ecosystem. I know a lot of um, there are a lot of frameworks for sort of testing bigger, slightly bigger systems, and as as things like React grow, there's they have testing libraries that come with them, um, so yeah. I think uh, that my my muscle memory is all in unit tests. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, but like, especially a web-based thing where you got a back your back
1: end. Mm. You think of it like a unit test anyway, because even if you're doing a, a bunch of code that's tested as a as a as a whole, you're not just indiv- not just individual functions, but like a a, a library or something you're still mocking often mocking out or stubbing out the back end so that you're not having to have an internet connection and in a back and a database and all that stuff yeah um, so I still I mean it it depends on what you call a unit uh, <laughs> and I, that's one of the reasons why I don't really like the term unit test because casual user I think and especially a casual developer but also a casual manager development manager thinks of a unit test as the stuff that you need to write to verify that the code that you wrote is working. So developer level testing. Um, Now that doesn't match very well with, does that mean you have to test every function in isolation and mock every other function that it's calling? It does not. Uh, It means that you need to be able to be confident that you're turning in your code and it's, it's going to work that, that administrative level of, of uh, just, developers should test their own code. That seems what that translates into is whether or not you should do unit tests or integration tests or system level or whatever. Uh, That's kind of up to the developers. And if you think that your practices are not efficient, um, it's fine. Uh, I think, uh, I think it was Kent Beck. I'm going to probably attribute it to the wrong person. It was either Martin Fowler or Kent Beck said my, um, Uh, my job is not to write tests. So I, I, so I write as little testing as I can. And, and I, I very much believe in that. I'm not, I'm not a software. I don't write elegant tests because I love testing. I I love testing and write elegant tests because then I can spend more of my time writing uh, product code.
2: Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a really, really good point. I think is that the tests are there to help the code. It's not like, an extra, like you were saying eat your veggies it's not really so oh now i've got to write some tests they're there to really help you write your the code for your system your website whatever
1: <laughs> and in my experience i spend less time developing features if i've got tests at the same time i just i've tried doing it without um but i'm just not that good of a software developer to be able to to write to it's, it's like you know it's the bowling guardrails, right? So whatever those things are that you put up when the kids are bowling. Um, yeah. uh, if you can have those all the time and you're not, why not? Why you, why not leave them up? Um, <laughs> if you can,
0: and, and tests are my guardrails. So yeah. and there's no prizes for being a hero and doing it without. Is that the only, the only thing that matters is does your stuff work? And if you can make it work and make it work quicker, uh, with testing, which is absolutely the case, then why not?
1: Yeah. <laughs> one of the interesting things uh, uh, that was put in the, the 20th anniversary edition of Pragmatic Programmer was this confession that, um, now I can't remember which one it was, uh, one of the authors said uh, he went through a phase of not writing any tests just to see how um, how it, if he was less productive. And it turned out that he was just about as productive as he was before. Um, but that he had the mindset of writing tests for all of his code for 30 years. Um, That mindset shift is, uh, is important and you can't take that away. Once you're, once you're used to thinking about your software is as how would I test it? um, Then you write better software. Uh, And, uh, and then he, he said that the other aspect of maintenance and, and teaching people how your software is used because the tests are a great way to look at how something is used. Um, and, well, they should be. If they're not good examples, then maybe they're not great tests because it's really easy to write bad tests and make them be confusing. But trying to keep them elegant and focused is, uh, is a way to help uh, the maintenance of the future software. But um, so the the confession was I did spend a time, spend, he did spend some time uh, not writing tests but the conclusion he came up with was: any code that he's going to either deliver that other people will use, or that he will share with other people, should have tests around it. Uh, so, and and if anybody else wants to try not testing, he recommends uh, programming with tests for thirty years first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good recommendation.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, um, so for people like beginners coming in people fairly new to coding i wonder if you had any like um pointers for them or places where they could go to find out more about testing or anything any tips you've picked up that you found really useful like ways of thinking about tests or any, anything really huh?
1: uh well uh, i recommend they they listen to testing code that's a good uh,
2: podcast um yep <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh, tom and i are both listeners yep, yeah. can confirm. <laughs> excellent
1: excellent resource um, yeah. <laughs> I, um unfortunately I I started I, st- I haven't kept up on it but pythontesting.net um is a is a blog I started a long time ago it's kind of been dead for a few years uh, I do plan on picking it up again at some point but I started it because I really didn't I don't know if there's a lot there's not a lot of great content around writing tests the um, learning learning a t- test framework it's like learning an editor. So if you, if you learn your editor well, you're you're more efficient at it and you can code faster. Learning the whatever test framework you're using, uh, go like spend a weekend just trying to play with it. Uh, don't I don't think that people should learn their test framework on on production code that they they get paid for uh, because it's too stressful. I, I think uh, go and play with it for a weekend. Do a test project. Do a little to do list or something. And and play with it so that you understand how it works. And if you understand it, it's the eighty twenty rule. You can really you can really be better at most of the people around you if you just spend a couple weekends learning it. Most people don't spend that, so do it. And then and then you can the rest of your career you're going to be more efficient at writing tests. Uh, the there's a couple questions that you have to answer first. There's three magic questions that I, I like to use. One is. How do I know if it's working? How do I know when it's not working? And then also, if you can't answer those, you have to ask other people. So the, the, the normal answer you're going to get from people is, I don't know. So the third question is, who should I ask next? So how do <laughs> I know it's working? How do I know when it's not working? And who should I ask next? Um, uh, and I literally, that has helped my career as well. Um, I've been in meetings where uh, I knew I was going to be responsible for integrating some software and, and uh, testing it. Actually, uh, when I was working with uh, ASIC developers and FPGA developers, there were there was like these complicated things, and I would I would literally use those questions. I would say, I'd say, okay, you write, I have to write a function that makes it do this, and you're going to call this. I'm like, okay, cool. Before I do that, I want to I want to be able to write a test for it. So how do I know when it's working? Um, and often there's pauses and then we'll get, well, okay, well, you need to talk with the ASIC developer to really understand that. Okay, good. So then I'll talk to the ASIC developer. Okay. How do I know it's in, when it's working? Um, and one time I got asked to ask to do something and, and they said, we need, we need you to pass this one value in and I'm like, okay, cool. How do I know if it's working or not? Um, and they said, well, you won't be able to tell there's no behavior to change. And I said, okay, then I'm done. <laughs> um, um I've Lost already done yeah. it um and they said, Well, no, you haven't I said we'll prove that I haven't uh and it really did turn out that we had um uh there is some work, so there's work involved to uh if you cannot test something so then then maybe you need to stick in some more API maybe you need to stick in some other information to be able to find out what's going on, so like let's say it's a memory utilization thing and you're going in, the outside behavior isn't visible to the user, but uh, internally we wanna be able to send some command to like uh, reallocate memory and tighten things up and do garbage collection or something like that. Um, well, how do we verify that that's really working? Well, then your, your memory layout should be better. You should have bigger chunks at the end. Well, put those, te- put those hooks in place. So even if you're not exposing to the user, you can access that information and the earlier in your process you do that, the the faster you'll be able to write tests for it. You don't want to like be at the end and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I need a hook into this API. And they're like, well, the dude that was working on that, he's now working something on something else. So we can't do that. So asking questions early. So how do I know it's working? How do I know it's not working? And who do I ask next?
0: That's, that's my advice. That's fantastic advice. I'm going <laughs> to... Scroll those down on a note and make sure I put that to work since I get back to the office.
2: Yeah, I like I like the focus on the what what's this actually doing? Why? Yeah, the the end result essentially isn't it? It's like what what's the point in this? But
1: you're yeah. also going to you're also going to be focused like really that helps to think like the end user and the more you're thinking like the end user. Um, the more you're going to actually stand out and the, in it. The, so then what? what's the behavior then you're going to ask more questions. You're going to be, you're going to learn more about your system. You're going to talk to a whole bunch of people. Cause you're going to be like uh, going around to different departments talking with people and asking, uh, asking questions. And, and you guys will, and you'll just keep doing that. This is going to help your career too. As a, as a, as a career thing, other people in the, in the company are going to know you really understand the system, and then you'll be the one being at question. People will come to you and say, "How do I know this is working?" And you'll be able to
0: answer that because you've already done the homework. Uh, I think it's a real good career move. But so, <laughs> yeah, it's not just about making yourself a better programmer; it's making you better at the specific job that you're doing with the people that you're doing it with. That's uh, yeah.
1: Very there, good there, there is some like uh, you can really get into testing and really TDD or something, and be the this is the right way to do it, and everybody else should do that. That's kind of a bad career move to be the uh, the person to hammer, telling everybody else that they're doing their job wrong. So um, encourage improvement, but don't be that guy. Um, that's uh, another. Well, I'm, I'm saying that in hindsight because I I've made that mistake before, um, and uh, <laughs> that doesn't help you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, on the on the theme of tips, um, as we, we're coming to the end of our our episode here, I, I, we have a question we ask every guest on the episode, and we were just wondering if you had three top tips for people looking to change career or learning to code that you might be able to hand out. I know you've given out loads of tips already, so
1: I think have fun and paid my. Well, I guess one of the tips I would say is to have fun and uh, pay attention to what you're doing and what is fun because um, especially in a software role uh, there's a lot of jobs that you can do there's a lot of software jobs that are not fun so um, or fun for some people but might not be for you so pay attention to it mm-hmm. there's plenty of jobs available for people that are uh, are, are doing um, are good at software so uh, don't stay with something that you're not enjoying um, uh, that'd be the first tip I think the the next one would be don't be afraid to change your environment so if you're if your process at work is not is is frustrating to you question it uh, maybe change it uh, propose a different way of doing things there's there's a lot of people that complain about the culture of their work and some of those are completely valid complaints but uh, some of them are changeable uh, there might be a management chain above you that just doesn't know any better and you could be the one to help make your work better. Um, and also, I think the like you're doing, uh, and I've been doing for the last ten years or so, or eight years. Wow! Uh, blog, blogging and uh, either blogging, podcasting, uh, contributing to open source, being part of the large community—it's um, it's good for your career, um, but it's also it's also good for your mental health. Um, having having my community be not just the people I work with, but the people that care about the same thing I do all over the world is an a incredible mental health a boost.
2: Yeah, I can definitely say that because um, you, uh, the Test and Code podcast. There's a you have a Slack group as well, don't you? Where people can come and ask questions. And I I, I jumped in there and asked a, a couple of questions. Um, and there was there was some really really good feedback and some helpful, some really interesting conversations. Like that were also helping my work. But I was kind of just having a good chat with some people. Who would like that are like-minded yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and the the um i was afraid to start that because i thought people would ask me questions that i didn't know how to answer and yes it happens all the time people ask questions <laughs> that i don't know how to answer the great thing about the community though is that people there's other people that do know or at the
0: very least they can commiserate and say yeah that's a really hard problem sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> there's value in that as well yeah but yeah, generally speaking with with enough eyes all bugs are shallow aren't they that's the yeah, um, I'll just.
1: Um, I'm very grateful that I chose software as a career because uh, because there's a lot of reasons to be grateful. One, it's um, I, I probably spend over half of my days coding that I enjoy the day that I had, um, and I know that there's a lot of careers that that's not the case. Um, there's there's a lot of people that work for the weekend, and uh, and there's but there's a lot of a lot of Monday mornings that I'm grateful to get back to work uh and then it's it's an interesting shift the other thing is especially with this covid stuff going on um i'm very grateful to be in a career where i can work from home and uh and that's uh it's a cool thing
2: mm. yeah we are all lucky yeah i the monday morning thing has definitely struck me quite hard since uh from moving from being a, te- a secondary school in a, in a city's teacher to uh, doing this job is, is, it's been a massive shift and yeah, I um Sunday, Sunday afternoons used to be kind of full of dread. but yeah. Now I'm kind of just looking forward to getting back to work to be yeah. honest. There's a,
1: there's also a mental state of um, like shifting careers and stuff. When you, when you shift careers, you're going to do a lot of learning. Um, you're going to, uh, you're going to, you're going to feel like a newbie and, and I think, One of the things I think people should do is like that feeling. You should get used to that feeling and like it because, um, because you should be, I think people should be learning all the time and, uh, continue learning and learn new things uh, because you never, well, one, you never really know where your career is going to end up in 10 years. The internet moves too fast, uh, to know that. Um, so being prepared, but also just kind of liking it. It's this is your craft. I think people should learn it. Now, there's a lot of people that I've heard say, it should be perfectly fine to learn how to do your job, get a job and do it and ignore it and don't think about it on the weekends and evenings. Um, and I, 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 got to admit we're profession professionals. I don't get that. I wouldn't want my doctor that way. I wouldn't want a doctor that hasn't learned anything since they left college. Uh, doctors have to continually take, uh, learn about new medicines and new techniques. Um, and, uh, there's plenty of other fields where people have to, to keep learning, and learning new techniques, and and that's in often not part of their day. Their 40 hours it's expected to be extra. Teachers are like that. Yeah. I don't I don't get why some people in software think that they can turn off learning. At some point, uh, you, you eventually will bite you in the butt if you do that.
2: Yeah. Some some brilliant advice there. Um thank you so much for coming and speaking to us and for all that we've chatted about, we've kind of covered quite a wide variety of topics, even around, uh, not, not necessarily just testing, but yeah, thanks again for coming on, on the show.
0: Well, thank you. It was a blast.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: It's been really nice to have you. Yeah.
2: Uh, if, if people wanted to reach out to you, um, where, where's the best place for them to do that?
1: Um, I'm very reachable on the internet, on, uh, on test, on, uh, on Twitter. I listen to Twitter, pay attention to Twitter a lot. So I'm Brian Ock on Twitter. Um, and uh, the the testing code has a uh, testingcode.com is my uh, is my podcast, but there's a contact form there that sends me an email, and that's good. Um, uh, there's contact forms all over the place if you want to ask questions. There there's a, a testing code also has that link to the Slack channel, um, and that's a great community if people want to learn more. So
2: yeah, yeah, oh, brilliant! Thank you so much. Well, thank you, listeners, for th- listening to this week's episode of A Question of Code. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at code,
0: And you can find us online at aqoc.dev or aquestionofcode.com, where you can find all the information about how to get in touch with us and propose questions for future episodes.
2: Yeah, so thanks again. Make sure you're subscribing and telling all your friends so we can reach as many people as possible. And thanks again to you, Brian, for coming on and speaking to us this week.
1: No, thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.